Welcome back. In this episode, Spencer Hillegas talks about his journey into sales, sales leadership, the continued process of him working for smaller and smaller startups, ultimately to the point of then burning out and exiting the sales world altogether. We talk about the power of taking a relocation to really accelerate your career growth. We spoke a little bit about getting in a position where you're working a little over your skis that, that again, to really accelerate your career growth, getting ahead of your exit ramp from the tech sales role, something that he ultimately had to deal with, and then owning it versus letting someone else drive your future. Look, after 13 years in different roles and then exiting the sales world to build his own successful company, Spencer has some insights that you'll want to learn from. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Hey, Spencer, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. No, thank you, Chris. Really excited to be here and uh, chat with another sales professional and uh, investor all the same. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Well, so I was doing a little bit of background. You and I had not met before, but I was doing some research on you like any good salesperson should do. And uh, really interesting background. So a 13-year track record of growing high-performing teams across multiple companies, um, number of startups, three of them considered unicorns, valued at more than a billion dollars. I guess I'm curious, you know, how did you originally end up in tech sales? Gosh, I wish I could say there was some deliberate, brilliant master plan, right? Uh, <laughs> oftentimes in life, as we have all found out at some point, that's not usually the case or the reality. Um, so these days, you know, I'm sitting here in the Bay Area, California, the wonderful island of uh, Alameda. And, uh, you know, I'm running Madison Investing, which is like our, our own company, but this did not start this way. I mean, to your point, I grew up in a real estate household. Um, my dad was a broker for 30 years. He had me doing stuff as a teenager. So I guess technically I was exposed to all that stuff at the age of six and then got more jobs, you know, beyond just gopher stuff as I got older. But that really scared me out of anything real estate related. I mean, I mean, when you're talking to your friends, and as lame as this sounds now, to be a guy around forty with a couple of kids now and and a, a full life, it didn't sound cool to tell your friends in Silicon Valley that you work at your dad's real estate company compared to going to a tech company because that sounds much cooler. Oh, especially and, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, you know, and, and it's a silly reason to say that, but honestly, uh, you know, I interned at a number of companies, tech companies throughout uh, high school, college. And then um, shortly after college, like most other folks, I was just broke. Um, and I you know, somehow found the right job listing for a local tech company. That company, I did inside sales. I'd never done that. I was pretty scared. Uh, and I didn't think of myself, never thought of myself as a sales professional. You know, And it wasn't like I was anti. I just didn't think about it. 
But I saw, you know, I think the ad said $80,000 in your first year. And I was like, it was a Craigslist ad, no joke. Um, and I was like, sure. <laughs> so interviewed there. Not only was that a formative decision, I ended up doing that for a year and a half. Some of those early relationships, and you could probably attest to this, like so many folks in the in the working world, they build those really strong relationships in the, in, that last for decades in some cases from that first job, that first team that they join in the working world full time. And that was my experience. But I kind of had an eat, pray, love moment as my boss at the time when I put my, my letter of resignation in about a year and a half after that, I had saved up more money than I thought I would ever be able to when I was in college. I quit for an eat, pray, love moment, as he said. Um, and I never got my gap year. So I thought that was something I deserved for some reason, whatever that means. Uh, traveled and I uh, very effectively not only spent all my money, but I went into about 30,000 bucks credit card debt. And not a great set of financial decisions for, for someone who had just thought I was pretty pretty cool. That was my entree into, into tech sales. And then from there, the adventure kept getting more and more interesting with a couple of formative moments along the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is interesting. Uh, I just as you're going through that, it kind of reminded me of a couple experiences that I had. And, and I think when you're young and you have that first job, and all of a sudden you're making some pretty good money, uh, in a way, it came to you so fast, so easy. Uh, you don't have the same level of appreciation as you do. Fast forward 20 years now, and you've been grinding it out for 20 years, and you know you've got a whole different perspective of holding on to it. Right. Yeah. And what is a long time? Right. You know, quote unquote. And. I look back at that, I wouldn't change a damn thing. I, I had a wonderful, fulfilling, exciting year. I traveled the world. I remember the exact moment. This is deep into that gap year. I was sitting on a beach in Croatia, as romanticized as this might sound. I don't know why, but I was like, I don't journal that much, but I was journaling on a beach in Croatia. Uh, and I was like, okay, I think I'm done. <laughs> and I, whatever that meant, I probably paid too much to buy a plane ticket to get all the way back to the US within like a 48 hour period. And went back to the same boss, said, Hey, or, uh, please take me back. And would you be willing to give me a shot? They made me come back. They made me really work for that interview. But that was the launch pad and a very formative decision for me, Chris, in the long term, where they said, like, We're going to go open a new center, like an another footprint for our sales group. And it's going to be a support team. We will take you back. We're going to make you work for it. We're going to pay you 14 bucks an hour. You're going to pay on your own dime. You're going to move to Colorado. You're going to be a customer support rep. And maybe if you do that well, you'll have a shot at a management track. And so I said, cool. I did that. Drove out in the dead of winter. Uh, I got stuck in Wyoming for a day or something. Uh, and it was pretty damn scary and lonely, honestly. And I was, in hindsight, you know, kind of what was me first world problems. But like at that moment, that was a big bet. And Five years later, I was running a 200-person facility over sales, support, customer services, customer experience, professional services, all this stuff. So it worked out and it makes it sound like that was all really easy. But getting that kind of scope and span and control when you're 26, 27 years old was way in over my skis. And, and, and it was deeply educational. That, that was the first real, you know, call it educational kick in the teeth um, when it comes to professional grooming. And that, you know, kind of showed me, well, this is what corporate means. And then progressively went earlier and earlier stage startups that were all competitors of that first company over the years. I think it the, the company that I, I ended up working for that first was into it. They bought my very first uh, company. And so I was there for five years and then went to early, early, earlier, earlier stage. Somehow finding ultimately uh, that that 80 to 100 hours of work per week 
I, when I was at an A series company, oh my gosh, I was leading you know direct sales at that point, customer success, and I had a kid. Couldn't see that kid for a two week period when it got really bad because I was going in so early and I was coming home so late. And that right there, when we were making dual income in our household in the Bay Area, maxing out our 401ks and just still feeling like, what the heck are we doing? This is not, this doesn't feel like it's working because we were making great money. Like, what, where's the catch? You know, like, what's going to give here? Where's the exit ramp from all this? And um, that, made me more open-minded and a mentor nudged me into what ultimately was like a real estate tech company. And uh, so that, that worked out because I saw what it meant to be a real estate investor. It was actually like a fix and flip company called Lending Home. Uh, they, they lend to fi- uh, fix and flip investors. And I didn't know a damn thing about what it meant to be a loan originator, but I had to somehow inherit a team of uh, salty, experienced loan origination sales professionals. So you went from selling some tech or leading some tech teams to leading or doing loan originations? Yeah, I've jumped like two different industries that are very deep and in some ways pretty specialized. And so just jumped right into it, you know, got licensed just so I could learn the basics. Uh, I had to pass some scary tests and then basically turn that team around, including making some hard calls about who's on that team and are they toxic? Are they healthy? Are they going to be here with the right attitude? All that stuff that goes into turning around. Um, and I realized like, wow, look at the numbers behind these transactions. Meaning I was less interested in you know, just the very nature of a mortgage. I was more interested in the fact that I saw the profit on what ultimately was 600 individual fix and flips per month flowing through this team that I was, I was helping build. They were doing the work. I was helping support them and serve them. But I was like, wow, I like those numbers. I can't swing a hammer. Uh, I don't know how to be handy, so I don't want to flip a house. But how do I go and figure out? Maybe there's something here about changing our whole wealth trajectory. And so I, that was really the spark. You know, I, I picked up 24 books. I read 24 books in an 18 month period. At that point, this is around 2016. I listened to over 400 podcasts, much like the one we're on right now. You know, like a quality education and just learning from others that have walked that path. And uh, you don't need to go as crazy as I did with that. No one does. I could have probably read four or five books, um, but I uh, ultimately started investing in real estate. You yeah, know? but you're an overachiever. So why read four when you can read 24? <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I was like quite obsessive about it. You know, 4 a.m., 6 a.m. working blocks for the guy that had to work before you go into your day job to then serve other people. It was a, a labor of love, borderline obsession. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to go back to a couple of things you said, because you touched on a number of topics that I think uh, I'd like to highlight. You know, funny enough, one of the things I picked up in, early in your conversation was, you know, that, that initially working with your dad as a kid, right, running around doing errands. I don't, you know, look, I'm a parent. So you always, as a parent, you're always thinking about these things. But, you know, the value of somehow pulling your kid into you working and getting them that hands-on experience. They may hate it. They may say, I never want to do it. But you know, they're they're without even knowing it, they're seeing mom or dad be entrepreneurs, they're seeing mom and dad hustle. You know, I have my son, you know, he he's been mowing lawns at properties. He goes and does the quarters and picks up the laundry machines and takes them to the bank. And by the way, I hate doing that. You know, I still have he went to college now, so I have piles of quarters that I still haven't taken to the bank yet. So I gotta take care of that. <laughs> um, but That's yeah, great, I thought that was you know, a good point. And the other thing you mentioned was you know that move you made to Colorado. 
the when you're young and this is probably more applicable to some of the early career listeners but when you have that opportunity to potentially move and take on something new within your company that accelerates and 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 raises your visibility within that company so i mean if you're looking to grow within that company and accelerate your career taking a move taking a relocation you may not want to i did it and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It, it just raises you up as somebody that is, you know, willing to make things happen. And that, that, that type of stuff makes a difference. Thank you for highlighting that. I mean, I, I honestly, I think that's got to be, for, I mean, and you nailed it, I think, um, which is like early professionals, if they're in the first five to eight years, roughly, I mean, maybe first five. When I've gotten into those conversations, as I'm sure you have many times as well, like you hear from folks who say, oh, I don't want to leave. I love it here. And like, if particularly for folks that are in the Bay Area, I mean, I would argue plenty of those strong markets in Oregon for sure. You know, basically, it's harder than ever for folks to get a strong financial footing, even just to launch, right? To like to make some decisions at first. Why limit that? You know, why why limit? You could literally change the trajectory of your financial life by getting the hell out and going to do something different. And I promise. There's kind, wonderful people. There's communities to be built all over the world and certainly in the country in many different places. So I always encourage folks to be like, don't limit yourself and be open-minded. I mean, it's, I know it's scary. I get it. But like, it, the, but there's a big, wonderful world out there. I mean, the, the one other thing I, I kind of left out of the story with my dad as well, but uh, since you you know went back to it as well, Chris, it's probably worthwhile for folks to know um, and share with you is that, I mean... Uh, certainly seeing my dad's work ethic left a resounding impact on me. And but like he would get up at 4.30 and I was always like, why would anyone wake up that early? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and this is coming from the guy who ultimately led East Coast teams, you know, on, on the West Coast, West Coast yeah. leader, which is always one of the top most brutal things you could do because you got it. You have to inject energy at 7 a.m. their time or something crazy. But I bring this up because... Uh, our household financially growing up and all through my teenage years, we were a one income household, very common, traditional. My dad was a broker with active income. And we went through what we call like the dark decade in my family. And it basically was started by uh, my younger brother. It's a long time ago, but it's my younger brother passed away from cancer. Uh, parents got divorced because that's happened. That happens very common when that happens. And then we lost like a pretty shocking number of other people in our family for a variety of reasons. It just happened to all coincide. And then my dad's business as a broker shrank and downsized dramatically along with our household income. And that was pretty jarring. I mean, to, to, to say the least, right? And it changed the whole tone of the house, the whole tone of the family, the whole direction of the family, the financial footing. That was the lesson for me about this whole idea that now Jennifer is my wife and my COO for our company. And it's not a vanity thing. Like she's our COO and CEO and, and, and we support the team we have here. But, you know, we look at this notion of like financial offense and financial defense in our household. And we can always come back to that later. But it matters so much to me now that if I get hit by a bus, God forbid, or something happened to Jennifer or both of us that like, whether it's a big deal or a small deal, I never want to be in that position now that I'm the dad. And I know you can relate to this stuff as well, Chris, because like that, 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 that's really the legacy left by that painful moment. Just seeing like seeing what happened in our household because my dad had active broker income and people that have salaries, they tend to, and I tended to convince myself 
that that was nice and quote unquote stable. And, and, and ultimately, I hate to say it, but it's, it's, I now literally view that as no more stable than a 100% commission broker. Yeah, it, it is it, until it isn't. Right? It is until it isn't. That's exactly right. And so just wanted to share that as well because the worldview matters. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. So talk to me a little bit more about, um, you said financial offense versus financial defense. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So probably we'll share first, uh, you know, because we, we both like to talk about this, the tech professional and sales as well is like Silicon Valley in particular has this kind of unwritten financial plan that unfortunately so many employees subscribe to. And we're not talking about the VC community, but we're talking about most people who are working for these tech companies. And as a repeat employee of these companies, I, I deluded myself for so long thinking that, well, maybe if I go and I find that next Google, Uber, Facebook, what have you, I get meaningful equity, you know, and they have an exit, they have an IPO acquisition, something hit like that. Hit a big, yeah. Yeah, they hit a big and then it'll, it'll absolve all the financial sins. And <laughs> in the end, it's like that happens. Not only does that happen for a small fraction of people, even if it does, that dollar amount is not life-changing money. And so, you know, I, I was part of one company where they might still have a really great liquidity event, but it sure as hell didn't happen in 2022, seems like. So it's, I think, uh, long story short, I think that that's an important comment because it, it, it kind of allowed me, and I know people I've talked to hundreds of times, they're banking on that, whether it's like a deliberate plan or not. They're kind of assuming that that's going to help save them. And that's really ultimately where I ended up leaning into we got to solve this income thing first. We got to take the money question off the table. And as lofty as that sounds, that's where that conversation started. You know, like dual income household in the Bay Area, that is sounds like, like a lot of money. It's unfortunately not strong dual income. How do we go and ensure that like, if we want an off ramp from working until we're in our 70s in the traditional sense, we need to have income streams. So we started looking at the real estate that is somehow passive, quote unquote, passive income and thinking going in very skeptical, thinking it was a myth, thinking it was a bunch of BS. And then realizing, well, okay, let's just start with a rental. You know, so we had a kind of a three phase, you know, I, I, in hindsight, everything's very clear cut and simply worked, right? But in, it, it felt like a chopping through things with a figurative machete at the time, like a maze of decisioning. We drove around the whole summer in this first phase of real estate investing just to find this duplex to buy it for $430,000 in Vallejo, California. Um, cash flow is 200 bucks a month, incredibly stable. 
that is a really poor cash on cash return for any of the real estate investors out there going, man, that's not a good deal. In all fairness, it's not a good cash flow deal. That's absolutely educational for us now. <laughs> we wanted to figure out if we could have taken that 100,000 bucks of our hard earned capital, put that into something else that could generate life impacting income more so, get longer, you know, stretch those dollars. We went to phase two, and that meant we got up to five single family rentals in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm, okay. 60,000 bucks a pop. 250 bucks roughly a month in cash flow. Pretty damn, pretty good. And but we also learned a lesson from that. We've since sold those properties again, but like the real lesson was that rentals at their best when dialed in with a killer property manager are semi-passive. And does that mean they're a bad thing? No. Like absolutely not. It's not an anti-rental dig. It just means if we're very busy and we want fully passive, we ain't going to get it there. So we moved on from that after selling them, et cetera. And we started investing passively in... We looked up market for bigger deals. And it just aligns to me being uh, kind of an operations nerd anyways. You know, I've spent just as much time in other in non-sales roles and you know, operations leadership, uh, you know, customer experience and stuff. I like predictable things you could put in a spreadsheet. And I, I think that's what drew me to these bigger deals. And so we started investing as LPs, limited partners in... Um, I mean, uh, multifamily syndications at first. And, you know, that was so incredibly good at first to see, like, oh, this is actually passive. We can go and do this over and over and over, I think. And we're going to get no impact on our daily lives in terms of overhead, having to pick up the phone call to deal with like a couch that's been put on our front porch way out in Kansas City by the neighbor for no reason besides aggravating the property. <laughs> and by the way, those calls only come in weekend evenings, holidays, you know, family events. In the middle of like Thanksgiving dinner. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's spot on actually. Uh, but you, I, th I think you get the idea, which is like ultimately... Um, we had to add income streams and we wanted to do that without costing life overhead and making stuff more challenging for us. And that was the path that we chose to take. It wasn't pretty at first. You know, we had to drive around a whole summer with an infant in the car just to find that one poor cash flowing property that we now still own. You know? Well, how did you make the transition then from investing passively while working in your tech job to now you do this full-time professionally with a uh, you know, full scaled up business? It was incredibly organic. You know, it, it was uh, in hindsight, it was, was not the plan. I was, you know, actually enjoying the company I was at. I enjoyed my coworkers. And, and I'm not the guy in the real estate investing community who, who just rips on the W 2 world. It was largely a positive experience with a couple challenging moments for sure. Yeah. But uh, I would say that, you know, looking back, I was investing and talking, but going to coffee and lunch and talking to colleagues and meetings after, you know, all the things you do. You know, when you're working, and and I think that we would just go to coffee and talk to like a you know, VP marketing, talk to a colleague at, at lunch, and say, uh, "Oh, you know, what's got you excited these days? What are you working on?" And they might ask me like, "Oh, uh, did you just invest in something you were telling me about?" And then it's an organic conversation from there. That happens so frequently, where they were like, "Oh, can you tell me how you decided to go with that one?" And how did you end up deciding? That that was the a, a risk adjusted you know scenario you were comfortable with, and the more I got into those discussions, the, I realized like oh maybe there's like something like a business here. Uh, almost wanted to go become an asset manager uh, myself, meaning like you run the whole show hands on, your boots on the ground, and the properties. But we decided very firmly we're not moving back out of state 
uh, we, we like it here where we are. We have roots here. Um, and, and so we started partnering with people who they would find the deals in other places like Sunbelt, you know, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, a little bit more West now, but it started off heavily in Texas. Uh, and they were kind enough to let us participate in their deals uh, and help, you know, do things like not just put our own capital, but bring investor capital. And also, frankly, help on stuff that you and I probably consider table stakes basics in you know, marketing, things like that. And where they know that real estate business, they know how to, how to manage a 200-unit apartment building. They know how to even do the construction component of like renovations, but they don't necessarily know how to tailor uh, CRM or MailChimp campaign, uh, et cetera. So it is pretty uh, fascinating when you take all your experience in like the tech world or tech sales world and all of the systems, the processes, you know, it's technologies or all the innovative things that they throw at the business to run the business. And then you shift over to, you know, some group that's got a hundred unit apartment building and they're managing it. There's still so many archaic things that happen, um, that, you know, you're like, that's not that hard to solve. <laughs> you know, we could get this software, we could get this process, you know, I, you know, and I look at everything from a, uh, you know, from a sales challenge perspective, right? Like, let's just go map out the problem. Let's map out the next steps. When are we going to close it, you know, and start working towards that, that date, you know, but it also comes with a whole different set of challenges that are totally irrelevant to what we experience in the technology world. So it is interesting just to see how all these different industries, how they operate. Hey, you know, so Spencer, when you look back at your time, so you went from you know, your initial sales job, you started to kind of niche down into smaller and smaller early startups, and then eventually kind of ejected out of that and moved into the real estate uh, full time. As you look back at that, um, are there any different turns you might have taken? I'm not asking if you had any re regrets, but any different turns or lessons learned along the way that if you look back and say, hi, huh, if I could go tell my other self, do this a little bit differently, what would it be? Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate so much the way that you frame that, Chris. I, th I think that I, I strive to live without regret, but you know, there are always educational moments, right? And cr certainly cringeworthy moments for sure. I'm like, I can't <laughs> believe I said that, you know. Um, but there, there's two things I'll call out here, and, and the first would be starting earlier. Uh, you know, it has to be said. You know, I think most folks who have gotten into any form of real estate investing and they found success then that is, you're going to hear them say they wish they started like 10 years earlier. And that's certainly my first comment is like, I lived in Denver, Colorado in 2009 and rented an expensive apartment. I look back and that was a dumb move. Uh, I didn't have kids. I was not married. I could have house hacked. Uh, said another way, maybe a duplex where I live in one rent the other covers my cost in a building equity and the fastest growing single family home appreciation, appreciating market in that 10 year span. You know, that's... That, that, that's got to be a number one. The number two is one that is very doable in hindsight. And I just was too short, short view. Um, you know, instead of taking the long view, everything I, I, I strive to every day, my true North compass, if I had to say that on relationships these days, is that everything is long view, everything. And, and that means every colleague uh, throughout the career. Every person you bump into, every candidate that you interview, every person you meet, they're another real human being, man. They're not like a cog in the company machine. And I never certainly thought that. I've been a very values-driven leader for the entirety of my career for the most part, you know. But, but 
that's a relationship. And, and I think that you are building, you're planting seeds of actual real relationships. So you got to look at that. I would go back and say, like, hey, 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 Spencer, hey, self, hey, dummy, stop, stop being so short, short-sighted with this stuff. Think about you're building a potential long-term friend, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be in, inauthentic. Uh, it, you're, you're building your future because if people want to be real cut and dried about the business implications of that, that view, you're building your future investor network. And man, did I lose hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of opportunities. I did build some really great ones along the way, of course. And it certainly helped in our first wave of investors that are now of the hundreds that we work with at, at Madison Investing. Um, I'm glad that we still build so many positive ones. But man, it's just a fraction of the, of the total. Yeah. Well, um, so let me bring that around to you know, the sales rep. So you might not ever go, go into real estate, right? But what he just said, I feel the same way. I look back, I, in my earlier career, I was, all right, look, just heads down, do the role, kick butt, numbers speak for themselves, and, and all is good. And it wasn't until, I don't know, let's just say 15, 18 years into my career, where I really started to appreciate the value of nurturing those relationships from the past companies that I was at. You know, I made good relationships and we had great times, but, you know, I'd move on. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to maintain those connections. It does. Well, man, let me tell you, I got laid off one time. And I was, you know, I was like, oh crap, you know, I haven't talked to that person in a long time. And I, yeah. you know, that was a big wake up call for me, you know, the value of relationships when you need it the most. Unfortunately, I still had some good ones and, you know, I ended up getting some great referrals and got a lot of help and landed, you know, probably one of my best jobs uh, ever. But it was a reminder that I had not done anything intentional except for just being a good person to really nurture my network. Um, so, you know, if you've got the opportunity, do it now. And I will say one other thing. I see so many salespeople, maybe a little bit of the earlier career reps, that they're so focused on their outbound image with social media, with LinkedIn, yeah. Facebook, whatever. If you put half of that effort back into just your internal company and spend a little bit more time getting to know some of the people, think about what that would do for your actual cash flow in your career. I mean, you don't even know what you're missing out on um, until you Epic applications. Absolutely brilliant advice. I mean, I could go a pine on that all day, actually. But can I make one comment on that? Yeah, please do. I, I mean, I think uh, we're hitting on something. I'll, I'll, I'll run the risk of being too philosophical here, but I'll just say that, like, I was t I was talking about this with one of our investors recently, like a person who puts in hundreds of thousands of. I mean, actually, potentially over seven figures with us now, um, and we were discussing like why it's so key to just focus on paying it back. Always, like always 100% of the time, always paying it, paying it forward. And meaning like, what's the best way to go out and like potentially build an investor network? Like, you know, just go out and be helpful. <laughs> like, and so if you're inside of a company, same principle applies. Like, of course, you're not going to go out and, and, and turn off your judgment and say, let me go solve the world's problems. That's not the comment. But the comment is, is think of ways to both use your judgment to, to decline things that are unrealistic, you don't have time to do, and it's just way too far down the priority list for your core priorities. But at the same time, respect other people, be curious about them. If nothing else, just be curious about like who they are, like what are they trying to achieve? And if maybe they're challenged, maybe they're faced with like a challenge right now that you could be helpful with, even with just like a five minute conversation, or maybe you could have given them a connection to someone else, and then that's going to help them unblock themselves. Like that is paid itself back 
for ask anyone who has you know literally like 10 to 100 plus million dollar net worth and they're going to bring that up you know they they're going to bring up the impact of the relationships that have manifested because of changing that attitude to give more to get more and that's just the way the world pays you back and works and it's not always going to be immediate that's the hard part. Yeah, we'll show up in your commission check next week, but uh, oh my god, uh, yeah, you're not going to get bonus on it. You're not going to get you're not going to get a quarterly check because of that. But maybe the next job that you say yes to, you're going to be staring at an offer that is so much larger than you ever thought possible because you got the right back channel reference check from someone who you built a relationship with at company X or company Y down the road, and that's the stuff that people just don't think about planting seeds that way. With authenticity, it's not about manipulation. What it's about is just like being authentic and, and playing paying things forward, man. That's a great comment that, that you made, Chris. Thanks for getting me going on that. Yeah, no, well, thank you for your comments. I appreciate that. Well, Spencer, as we uh, as we wrap it up here, um, I, I like to ask the guests about, and you already brought it up about you know about uh, paying it back. Is there are there any charitable things or other ways you give back that you want to highlight or promote while you while you're here? Yeah, I mean, I'll share a couple things. I mean, one of the things that uh, I've been doing for now, really, I mean, five five plus years since we made it official that we're doing this as a business at Madison Investing, is you know the whole real estate investing landscape is chock full of, uh, as we were talking about before we hit record today, you know, paid coaching programs and all that stuff. And I, I I've closed that chapter of my life in the W two world. It was a kind of a sacred thing to me about like coaching people. So I don't have any program like that. I don't plan to launch one. However, uh, when it comes to helping people, just like I take the time as often as I can do it, and I do that on a weekly basis with multiple people, just to try to give them guidance and resources. And uh, yeah, I don't ask for anything for that. It's it's really just on a very macro one to one level. More traditionally. Uh, we donate more now in an accelerating fashion, and we're baking uh, charitable components into our business uh, so that it can scale on a, on a repeatable basis. Because, yeah, you gotta you gotta give with your money and with your time, um, you know. And I think that there's just so many wonderful ways that people can do that. Last but not least, we we just launched. Uh, I've, I'm so excited for this because we've been working on it for a while. We just launched a free resource that people can get, and it's like a no obligation thing on our website, and it's just like a uh, it's a blueprint for passive investors, and so um, it's really helps folks make decisions about what type of investing that they can do and should do, uh, even if you're just very level one hundred one uh, knowledge base. And so people can find that at madisoninvesting.com. Madisoninvesting.com blueprint for passive investing. Got it. All right. Well, Spencer, so if somebody did want to set up a time with you, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, um, they can go to that to our website at madisoninvesting.com. And there's specifically going to be uh, a link on there that says get started. Um, and they can actually book a time with me through that link. Uh, they just have to put in some some basic info. All I ask is, you know, book, book it and be a reasonable, friendly human being. Yeah. And show. Yeah, and show up. I mean, I haven't been ghosted in a very long time. I don't think, but but I think uh, yeah. All I ask is people are friendly, normal people who want to go in and just nerd out on investing in real estate and the landscape of the economy and all that stuff. Well, Spencer, hey, thank you today. I really appreciated uh, your time, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, likewise, Chris. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions. Oh, you're welcome. 
Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever. Thank you.